0: And that lack of creativity i think is one of the reasons we see so many um high visibility breaches of iot devices and, and this sort of um, fear of iot devices because a lot of people have cut corners
1: over the years um on because it's been challenging it's worth it to sit down and build some threat models uh, uh, you know take the viewpoint of an adversary and say what are all the different ways i can Uh, uh, Break this thing And and do something nefarious
2: Well hey everyone It's Jeff Diverter The host of Cloud Talk And today Wow a really interesting conversation. You know, we've brought you information about development and about IoT, and we've also brought you some really compelling interviews around security in this cloud-first era. Well, today, we pulled it all together, and we have a conversation about best practices for delivering modern IoT solutions, but in a secure and compliant and safe way. But make sure you stick around to the end of the interview. I've got some great information at the end, some about the Solve conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th, as well as some other interesting info, so make sure you stick around to the end. All right, let's get on with today's episode of Clown Talk.
1: The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps
2: the kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can
1: deliver without even breaking the sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to
2: focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff DeVerter. I don't know when, what year it was that I actually heard the term internet of things the first time, but I know it wasn't recently, many years ago. And it seemed like it was one of those things that for me was a little bit obscure. It took me a while to really figure out where does it fit? Where does it make sense? Well, in the intervening years, it seems to have sort of surrounded itself in uh, my life with itself. Uh, I find it is in all of the sensors in my house. It's in my watch. It's in the car. In in Spades, and uh, and the Internet of Things is is really this amazing opportunity to collect tons of data. I'm joined by a, a couple of folks here today, and the first I want to introduce you to is Amir Kashani. Now, Amir works for Rackspace Technology. He came to Rackspace through the acquisition of a company called Anika, and. Their claim to fame, as, as I'll put it, was really cloud-native development and thinking about you know, this whole new paradigm of developing applications, utilizing hyperscale clouds and whatever the latest technology was available. And a lot of times that meant Internet of Things being part of this whole application stack. Amir, uh, what was the first cloud-native development project you worked on that, uh, that utilized IoT?
0: Oh, that goes way back. Um, probably for a company out of East Africa that, um, was doing logistics and, and trucking. So, um, we incorporated IoT in a non-traditional sense. It wasn't necessarily a sensor, um, but it was, we were using phones that the drivers were carrying and those were our things at the time, um, able to give us some statistics about where the cargo is and feed that back into a portal to help with the whole tracking process. Um, that the really maybe true first IoT one was actually for a company doing um, shared workspaces. Um, and it was around indoor um, occupancy tracking so that we can track where people are spending their times and how to best utilize that space. And that was, that was a few years back now.
2: Wow. Really great use for it. Um, but but as you think about maybe even some of the more recent applications, and if you can't mention customer names, that's fine. Maybe just use cases or industries. What are some other areas where IoT is really having a big impact?
0: I'd say the biggest one we're seeing nowadays is in manufacturing um, and all sorts of industrial use cases. You know, manufacturing lines, um, they're, they're, a lot of times they're using equipment that's been around for decades, right? These things haven't been updated and these production lines are busy running day in and day out producing things. And, um, when they go down, when something goes wrong, it has a big disruption to, um, to the operations and ultimately to the bottom line. So one of the biggest use cases, um, that we're seeing, um, at the growth of is around, you know, industry 4.0 adding intelligence to these manufacturing lines to not just, um, well, first of all, pull data that exists from this equipment and get it out of the, the silo that's the factory floor, but get it into the cloud where you can process it and make sense of it, but also instrumenting um, areas where there are no sensors. So adding sensors to monitor temperature and humidity, both for ambient as well as equipment, looking for vibration as a sign of whether equipment is failing or might be failing soon, and really focusing on these predictive and preventative maintenance um, opportunities to combine the sensor data with the insights provided by things like machine learning. Um, that's the best example in terms of an area of growth. I think it's going to be um, pretty much de facto in, in you know a, a decade here that everything is going to be um, instrumented in, in, in our factory operations. But obviously, we're seeing it basically in every industry under the sun at this point.
2: Yeah, because people are really, I mean, they're realizing the value of being able to Not just have the service or capability, but to be able to get data that comes from those devices, location, temperature, time, occupancy, um, light, uh, anything that can be measured uh, can then be captured and then create, create some useful results from that. But let's draw the line now. Let's draw the line from that that device and put on your architect hat and let's talk about all of the components. If you're going to build out a cloud-based solution inside a manufacturing plant, and just to use the example you mentioned before, you know what all is involved here, starting at those at the sensor.
0: Yeah. So the sensor, you know, these they come in various form factors. Some off the shelf. Some you you build you know, on your own into custom enclosures. Um, they have to gather the data from the equipment, which is oddly the easy part. And then from there, it gets a little tricky. You have to communicate it to some sort of, um, local gateway type device that's going to aggregate the sensor data from, um, you know, dozens or hundreds of sensors you may have, um, and then process that and send it to the cloud. So it goes from the sensor to the gateway. And then using some sort of internet connection, send it up into your cloud provider of choice. From there, you're dealing with, um, you know, authentication of the devices, um, sanity check of the data coming through, make sure it hasn't been tampered with. Um, typically you're enriching that data to add some metadata, maybe um, timestamp information, some information about what factory floor or factory line. You might want to know what product was being produced at the time when the data was um, created. So lots of enrichment um, activity that happens. And then ultimately you're storing it in one or likely several data stores for various use cases. Um, you know, you might store it in a time series data store to show how um, these values change over time and how they're correlated with other metrics that you're collecting. You might store it in a data warehouse or, more likely, a data lake nowadays um, for long-term analytics and maybe machine learning. And then there's the real-time aspects that you want to you want to be notified of anomalies that are happening. Um, at the point that they happen or as close to real time as possible. And for those, you have a lot of stream processing technologies that are looking at the data, comparing it to averages, norms, maybe changes over time in a recent period, and then firing off messages to either notify someone or if you're really advanced, actually um, affecting change by maybe controlling equipment, shutting something down, right? So that's sort of the life cycle. It's, it's getting the data um, from the device, passing it through some sort of communication gateway and getting into a cloud where you're processing it, making sense of it and acting on that data.
2: So the amount of technology that's being being consumed along the way is, is extraordinarily vast. I mean, it's not just this, uh, I'll use a commercial device, an Arduino something or a, or a Raspberry Pi, an off the shelf type of a product. Uh, but it's but if, when we think about authentication, we think about the transport uh, getting back to the cloud provider of choice, all the authentication processing, enriching data storage, uh, analytics, uh, and ultimately maybe even um, some some advanced machine learning and artificial intelligence to create insights and predictive measures around that. And I think it's a great time also in the conversation to bring uh, to bring Gary into it. Now, I want to introduce you guys, you've heard him before on the podcast, to Gary Alterson. Now, Gary leads the security practice at Rackspace. And as we're recording this, normally we've got some video, but we don't today. And it's just audio. But I can almost feel Gary cringing as he hears all of this technology at play strung together in the security challenges that exist around it Gary I'm just gonna I'm just gonna open the floor respond to what you're hearing yeah so I don't know the
1: cringing is the right word um, but certainly as organizations look to consume and get the benefits from IOT they certainly need to take security into account. Um, in, in two ways. One, they want to hold the manufacturing, manufacturer's of the equipment and the applications uh, accountable to good security practices. And then two, they want to layer on top of that their own security controls for a more defense in depth type approach to uh, protecting that critical technology. Uh, when we look at Uh, IoT, you know, you can't just look at either the hardware or the application or the transport. It it really is an end-to-end chip-to-cloud solution that you need to protect. And any step in that value chain is a step where you could potentially um, have an exposure that allows someone to take advantage uh, of, of a security vulnerability and ultimately break that value chain in some way or Got use it. some All right.
2: So, so let's let's break it down a little bit and we'll start on what I'll call the easy. And the only reason that I call it easy is 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 we've had a little more time to deal with it, and that would be the cloud properties. So. Let's talk about some general principles about best ways to secure cloud environments, and let's keep it somewhat agnostic. But how do we how do we want secure and monitor our workloads, our data, our things that we're putting out in public clouds? And then we'll, we'll make our way out to the edge in a minute. Sure. Well, when you think about security of a cloud application, there's a couple of different
1: levels. There's the security of the cloud platform itself. So how your uh, managing the uh, identities that have access to the cloud accounts, um, how you're managing the, if you are using virtual server instances, uh, how you're securing those virtual server instances, uh, containers, same thing, how you're selecting uh, your container operating systems and uh, monitoring or securing containers at runtime to actual secure code itself, uh, as well as making sure you're taking advantage of um, the security controls built into the uh, cloud platform itself. So if you've got, uh, if you're using a cloud-provided database uh, or data warehouse, making sure that you secure that. If you're using object storage, securing the storage, uh, and um, on top of that, you know, building the security Code securely itself, um, and, and then within the applications itself. And I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of go a little more forward. Um, you want to ensure um, not only that the applications are secure, but that the communication paths and how your applications communicate with the devices on the edge or uh, on somebody's network uh, is also secure.
2: OK, that makes perfect sense. So starting at the the micro, let's you know, get into the code, make sure the right things are done there from a security point of view, even in that code deployment process, but then all the way up to making use of everything the cloud provider uh, gives you natively, uh, including, mm-hmm. you know, two-factor authentication, all the good stuff and all the monitoring and even the control surfaces to be able to pay attention to all of that. Yes, uh, and, and
1: identity management is going to be critical for that, especially when you start thinking through how you're going to communicate with uh, potential devices. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the big problems we see, especially in IoT applications, is how essentially identity is treated um, you know, what looks like a device? Can you impersonate a device? Um, mm-hmm. do you, how do you validate a device as being, uh, something that has the authorization to talk to the application? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, how you manage if you're using secrets and we don't necessarily recommend you do, um, if you're using secrets or certificates, how you might manage those, um, and, you know, where you need to rotate uh, uh, rotate um, secrets or revoke certificates, um, place new certificates in devices. These are all the things that you have to uh, think about as well as validate as you build out that application. It's not just pure web application at this point. Remember, there's endpoints that this application is going to be talking to as well. And that that's has to right. be engineered in the application design.
2: Yeah, those those and those endpoints measuring potentially in the, the thousands or tens of thousands or, or even greater. So, Amir, how do you and the team, as as you've worked on on these sorts of projects before, how do you integrate these thoughts around security uh, into even the beginning architectural thoughts and then through the whole you know application development process?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first and foremost, it has to be considered upfront. Um, security cannot be an afterna- afterthought when you're talking about IoT devices because it's it's hard to retrofit in um, if you don't do it from the start. So the first aspect of it that Gary, I'm going to pick up on what Gary was saying is that authentication. Um, you have to be able to authenticate devices, and you have to be able to identify individual devices. So, you know, shared secrets are a thing that's easy to do, um, but I think it gives a false sense of security. Mm. If a shared secret gets out, then anyone can impersonate a device um, and you won't be able to disable that because everyone's using that key. So first and foremost, we make sure that we have a a way to get secure, um, unique identification and authentic and credentials to each device, which has some challenges that we can touch on, on later. Um, and that gives us the ability to be able to both track the devices and their communication, but disable one if something goes wrong, right? If some device is compromised, we can disable that. From then on, we're, we're considered, uh, once we've identified the device, we want to talk about the protocol which they communicate. We want that to be encrypted as well, right? We don't want open open um, communication where anyone can snoop in or perhaps um, intersect that communication. So we want to make sure that we're using something that is secured and encrypted end-to-end, um, and that could be a challenge because these devices tend to be resource constrained not a ton, not a ton of memory, not a ton of um, CPU. So sometimes the traditional encryption methods that you know that are tried and true for applications or mobile phones or, or just the cloud in general don't work as is and you have to get a little bit creative and and and, and that lack of creativity I think is one of the reasons we see so many um, high, visibility breaches of IoT devices and, and this sort of um, fear of IoT devices, because a lot of people have cut corners over the years um, on because it's been challenging.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the, the most, you know, one of the more famous examples of that was the fish tank in a casino in Las Vegas that, that you know, it had a temperature sensor that was open to the world and, uh, you know, yada, 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 as they say in Seinfeld, there was a breach.
0: Yeah, that's right. And we see that everywhere. Um, you know, it's residential pool equipment. I'm not going to name any names here, but um, I know of at least two manufacturers where the um, the controller that comes with the system to be able to control the thermostat and the temperature and the spa mode of your of your pool is wide open to the world. And, you know, this, this may seem like a low risk activity um, because it's just one pool, one home, but if it's your pool and someone's on your network and potentially running up your gas bill or taking advantage of that device to maybe get into your home network, you know, that can become a big problem. So it, it's, 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 it's a little bit scary, but it's not that hard to fix if you consider it from the start, which is why I say you have to start from the beginning.
1: Right. Yeah, and, oh, right. And with, uh, I would just add one thing, Jeff, and with that start as uh, Amir and team go and build applications, it's not just, hey, you know, let's co- check a couple boxes. Um, it's worth it to sit down and build some threat models. Uh, uh, Mm. uh, you know, take the viewpoint of an adversary and say, what are all the different ways I could potentially uh, uh, break this thing and and do something nefarious, whether it's, um, you know, just use it uh, like the thermometer case where all I'm going to do is, is break it and use it as a way to pivot into the rest of the network to um, a, a case I'm aware of where, a, a manufacturer of things, essentially, I, I, I want to keep it pretty vague. Um, yeah. um, things that everybody use every day. Um, they, you know, um, what if I impersonated the application for that thing? And then all of a sudden, whether it's cars or coffee makers or uh, pool, pool uh, controllers, um, you know, all talk to me instead of the application itself. And what can I do there? that's nefarious as well. So think through all the different components, all the different ways they can be misused uh, or potentially misused and, and build that threat model.
2: Well, and it's it's really important to think about these things. I mean, we talk about pool controllers and how that could you know expose. And you think, well, how many people are smart enough to actually go and do the you know, looking in on the residential side to figure as I buy a new pool and a controller, you know, is this going to expose me? But what we really want to focus on today is as um, as as businesses who are creating new new services and capabilities security can can play a two-edged sword it can be a thing that damages your reputation or it can be a thing that actually sharpens it being known for an organization that has thought through these things and creates secure uh, products so with that in mind let's let's start to traverse ourselves out more towards the the edge of the environment so gary maybe back to you let's think about security as we head back out what are things we need to think about you used a phrase earlier on of chip to cloud. Well, let's let's head out to the chip. What do we need to think about out there on the security side?
1: Yes. So uh, on the device itself, um, there's a couple things to think about. You know, first is uh, the the actual software that runs on the device, the, the firmware. Um, you know, all, all the things that Amir spoke about in terms of being able to manage identity, Um, encrypt or encrypt communication, be able to communicate securely, you know, be able to be uh, protected against somebody doing something malicious on the hardware itself. A lot of cases, uh, a hardware device has uh, uh, a, um, in layman's layman's terms, essentially uh, a, a testing interface right. That you can use to communicate directly with the firmware on the hardware through the, through the motherboard. Um, And, you know, a, a, someone who does some bit of reading and, you know, has a little bit of soldering skills and some equipment can um, definitely, if they can find those interfaces, um, connect to them and, and try to communicate directly and, and, uh, you know, Look to pull firmware off, uh, reverse engineer it, um, you know, uh, uh, determine the vulnerabilities, or or just you know test communication paths and see and see what they get. Um, so you you want to think through um, a h- hardware security and in, in how you build the hardware so it can't be nefariously used um, or or tested. Um, and, and there's some 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 methods to that. Uh, and, and then you want to build your f- firmware in such a way um, that A, it has protections, it can do the things that it needs to do, and that it's actually updatable, right? Um, And have a method for updating it as well. Because what we see is in many cases, organizations don't have the ability to actually go update those IoT devices. So if a vulnerability is found, um, you know, some organizations will just sort of you know, hunker down, ignore doesn't exist, right? Um, other organizations will be like, oh, we wish we could do something, but we can't because our firmware isn't upgradable. Um, but those organizations that really practice security well and get known for security, it's not that they necessarily build 100% of everything secure. Um, they, they certainly try, but they also are able to respond to security vulnerabilities, update firmware, update uh, uh, software running on devices, um, so that they can uh, fix those things uh, when they go wrong. And those are the those are the organizations that me as a business I would want to do business with. Um, right. You know, the ones that, that have some security practices um, can can build securely, but also recognize that things are going to go wrong and accept. You know, someone he- telling you, "Hey, there's a vulnerability." And then going out and fixing it.
2: So so Amir, back to you. As you start into a project with with a company, how do you lead a company through all of the things Gary is talking about to help them ensure that they understand implications of long-term management of an IoT-based solution?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we really stress is, and you touched on this earlier, Jeff, is that we're not talking about two Z dozens of devices we're talking about tens of thousands typically so having the processes in place that are automated and robust and mature to deal with you know a fleet that large is really going to drive a lot of decisions and and, and gary did a really good job of explaining the the, the capability around um, updating devices and we really advocate the over-the-air update Be be able to update all of your devices remotely and securely and reliably is sort of, you know, baseline requirement for putting a device out in the world, even even in small scale. So, you know, in everything we do and everything and all the conversations we have with customers, we really stress the importance of being able to access reliably and securely access and update these devices. Now that might seem um, counterintuitive. Do I want to be able to update these things remotely? Can't someone exploit that? And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier around the communication security. If you secured the communication between your device and your cloud, you can identify, you can um, correctly and reliably authenticate both ends. So the device authenticates the server and the server authenticates the device. Then you have a really secure channel that gives you the ability to update and access these devices without, you know, letting any third party malicious folks in. So that's one of the key things that really, we really stress.
2: All right. So um, that's fantastic. But what we've done in the, the course of our last 10 or so minutes is we have swum down into the bottom of the abyss of the technical details. And we're probably scaring people off in in, in going down the road of an IoT project. But there's incredible benefits that come from it. And so I'm going to go back to, to you, Amir. What I want you to think through here and share is... Think through some of the examples of projects either we've been involved with here at Rackspace or just ones you know about and the impact that they've had on that business. Because the impact that these types of solutions create uh, inside of businesses and for the good of society is really quite, quite dramatic, but it's important to do it right. So let's just let's go back up to the top and let's take a broad view of the benefits of these types of projects
0: for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that, that you can do really great things for for your business and humanity at large with, with iot so so one that comes to mind is actually a company um, century engineering they are one of our public um, case studies this is a civil engineering firm um, multidisciplinary do lots of stuff and one of the things that they do is storm water management through ponds right collection ponds now this is not a complicated technology you effectively dig a hole down you know where where water is going to naturally collect um, you, you collect the rainwater and you have a way to release it. Traditionally, the approach has been to proactively, and, you know, proactively release the water that's been collected after a rainstorm because you don't want to risk a scenario where the pond itself overflows. Well, it turns out that that's actually not the best um, course of action for the local ecology, it's actually much better to retain that water, hold it for a while, let it come up to temperature because it's te- down to temperature, rather, because it tends to come in warm as it's coming off asphalt and various, you know, man-made surfaces. Let it cool down, let some of the um, chemistry balance out, and then slowly release it over time. Now, we haven't done that traditionally because we don't want to risk that, that flood scenario. So what they did and we helped them do is build a device that monitors the level of that pond. It's paired up with you know, local weather forecasts, so we know if it's going to rain or isn't. And now we can intelligently decide when to release that water. And what's really cool is you know, we're, we're taking that even further by building machine learning models that sit on top of that that predict, you know, look at the temperature curves and likely temperature curves based on what we're seeing at various levels of the pond, what we're seeing with the um, weather forecast. And now we can really be smart about how we manage the water and you know it, it's really cool because it takes again something that's a relatively simple technology has been around since the Roman times, collecting water to make sure we're not flooding our cities, and and adding that extra level of technology to you know and benefit the environment in this case. And it's it's a really really good one. Security was considered from the start. It's not a it shouldn't be a um, something that scares you away from the project because as we've said it's it's certainly achievable. You just have to consider it from the start. That is an incredible
2: uh, example, and I love the fact that it's one that you drew it all the way back to Roman times of collecting water, don't get flooded, release it when it's appropriate, but utilizing, you know, what we know, uh, the best practices of how to do that now, and and then look for how technology can help solve that problem. So many of the the projects it seems that, that people undertake are, you know, technology solutions, walking around looking for a problem, as opposed to looking for where there's a problem, looking for how it can be solved, and when technology is appropriate, applying it, but of course, doing it in the right way. All right. With that said, we're going back down into the weeds and back over, you know, to Gary for a second. And Gary, let's think about, you know, you mentioned firmware, you mentioned, you know, that low level instructional code. And even as we talked about earlier, as we were preparing for this, talking about even controlling the chain of chip from manufacture. To production. Tell me a little bit more about how companies can or what they should consider in that aspect of the security part of an IoT project.
1: Yeah, you have to remember that in many cases, as companies are uh, building their IoT solutions, they're not manufacturing that hardware themselves. Uh, in many cases, they're going to contract that hardware manufacturer out to other organizations. Um, and in, in some cases, other organizations in other countries um, that may have an interest in um, gaining a, a communication channel into those devices at some point. What um, y- The ability to actually uh, essentially validate the hardware you're getting, uh, from these, uh, uh, contracted manufacturers, um, Mm -hmm. especially overseas manufacturers is, um, is important to validating, uh, the, um, the, the security of, of the, just the base hardware, um, You know, we've seen instances where there's been medical devices that have microphones essentially embedded into the hardware that weren't necessarily specified up front. Um, We've uh, identified instances in some compute hardware um, that uh, organizations uh, have bought that essentially had extra code embedded in the firmware or... um, extra chips that might uh, um, replicate some of that on-board communication uh, uh, should somebody you know, send the right command. Um, if, so the, the uh, uh, periodic validation of the hardware that you are getting from those manufacturers, in some cases, uh, um, especially sensitive cases, uh, makes a lot of sense. It's it's not easy to do, right? It takes uh, someone who knows hardware engineering um, very very well, uh,
2: but in, in many cases, uh, it, it's worth it. Oh, that's gr- great information. All right. So our goal here today uh, was to was to get into the weeds and understand the security implications of an IoT uh, development project. But also to keep our eyes on the on the positive benefits and the way that IoT projects can absolutely not only benefit uh, organizations as they th- consider their products and services, but also humanity. If you Think about that example of the of the water retention ponds—a great one from Amir. Um, And hopefully we've accomplished that today. You've got to consider it from manufacture all the way through to consumption and storage of that data, the transport of that data, security along the way, and then also through those applications that get written to analyze the data and maybe even proactively take action against it. Amir and Gary, thank you so much for being on the program today. I think this is... uh, you know obviously this is a technology that is ripe to make a massive impact going forward to amir's point it's everywhere everyone's using it but you've got to use it right and uh and then lastly to sort of add to that if you're considering an iot project especially if it's your first one or first few work with a partner who's done it before. You know where you can find one at Rackspace, but you may have a local provider. It doesn't matter who you use. Just please use someone who's done it before. And I'll, I'll give, actually, Amir and Gary a chance for parting shots on advice. If someone is new to undergoing or they want to explore an IoT project, a project outside of finding a partner, what advice might you have for them? I'll start with you, Gary.
1: Uh, I think it goes back to, number one, um, being clear on, on what your objectives are and, and how you would like to build your application and making sure that you you build that threat model uh, and uh, um, take that threat model seriously and build the appropriate controls on, on top of it. Perfect. All right, Amir.
0: Um, Yeah, that's a great one. And the other one I'd say is um, don't be afraid to move slowly and deliberately, right? We're in this world of agile and software world. We want to move fast and get things out to market. When you're dealing with hardware, you want to be a little bit more deliberate because once it's out there, it's hard to get back. So you want to test your devices, make sure you're getting the data that you expect to get, make sure you're driving the value you expect to get and obviously secure them.
2: Yeah, it could be hard to get that device back from the bottom of a pond without scuba gear. That gets challenging. I can see what you mean. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the program today. Everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Cloud Talk. We put one of these out every week. Please remember to subscribe.
1: This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com.
2: I really appreciated having both the security conversation at the same time as we're talking about end-to-end IOT solutions. And isn't that the way that we should approach security? Having that conversation in line with everything that we're doing with technology. Well, it's just that kind of encouragement and just that kind of content that you're going to be able to get at the Solve Conference coming on August 3rd and 4th. This is Rackspace Solve's free technology conference. Again, August 3rd and 4th. The 3rd is a pre-conference day with lots of great education. And the 4th, well, that's the main conference day. We have external speakers from folks like Bernard Marr as well as Guy Cowess Saki and a few others, as well as some amazing conversations that take place between, well, some of us rackers and our partners and even customers. It's great content for three tracks of people. The CXO suite, as well as the technology folks, as well as those just out inside of the business using technology. Everyone can learn something from the Rackspace Solve Conference, coming on August 3rd and 4th. Just head over to rackspace.com solve slash conference to sign up all right huge thanks as always to dell technologies a sponsor here at the solve program here at rackspace and of this podcast also if you're enjoying this content well if you haven't already subscribed i'd love for you to do that and maybe even tell a friend about cloud talk and what you're learning over here All right, that's going to do it for this week. As I mentioned earlier, we turn one of these out every single week. So I hope you enjoyed this one, and you've got another one to look forward to next week as well. I'm Jeff DeVerter for Clown Talk.